I'd like to start the sermon off this morning with a rhetorical question. That means I don't expect anybody to shout the answer back to me. We had a lead team seminar conference. I don't know what you'd call it exactly. But through the headquarters, a bunch of pastors got together on the uh, Thursday night. And one of them was telling a story about how he had to stop asking rhetorical questions from the pulpit because there was one lady out there that didn't understand how rhetorical questions work. So he would ask a simple rhetorical question, and she would shout, sat in the back, would shout out a lengthy answer to his question, and everybody just had to stop and just take it all in. So you don't have to answer back. But I want to ask, how do you feel during the singing part of our service, when we sing together? I'll bet that for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you, I'll bet that's kind of an awkward time of the service. I mean, it's the only time of our life that we are to stand up really close to people and sing out loud. All through the rest of our week, we're not encountered with that. Like at work, they don't, anytime during a meeting, they don't ask us to get up and sing together. For some of us, again, not all of us, but for some of us, it's a little unnatural. I'm one of those. It's taken me a long time to get comfortable with the singing out loud thing. I don't like people to hear my voice terribly much. I don't think it's very pleasant. And, uh, you know, I, naturally for me, I tend to find singing out loud kind of embarrassing. And I imagine I'm not alone in this. And I bring this up because I think this psalm is really going to help us. It's going to help us in the praise part of our service, I think. It'll make it more meaningful. And it's going to help in our lives, too, make our lives more meaningful. We spent the first two months this year building a really strong foundation, studying these big mega truths, just huge mountains of truth. We studied who is God. God does everything he does for his glory. We studied who is Jesus, that Jesus is our life. Christians are new creatures. The church, the local church, is the local representation of the body of Christ. God is eternal. God is the creator. Man was made in his image. Sin distorted that image and Jesus can fix it. We can get it back. Big, massive, huge mountains of truth every Sunday. It's been a lot. We've done a lot in these first two months. And each Sunday has been a lot for me to convey. And a lot for you to take in. And I know some of you are nodding saying, yeah, it has been a lot for us to take in each Sunday. Last Sunday I even went over and I have heard about it. <laughs> I've heard about it plenty. It's going to happen sometimes. I'll bet this morning we'll get out a little early, though. So we'll make up for it. But we've been taking on these huge mountains of truth. And it's like we've just been on like a helicopter tour of it. Just sort of taking in just the base of the mountains. Taking it in kind of, kind of from an overview perspective. And I'm going to change the pace a little bit this morning. We're going to... Take our helicopter up to the peak, get out, stretch our legs a little bit, and we're going to study a much more intimate and personal portion of Scripture than we have so far this year. And I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's going to be real refreshing. It'll be a change of pace. And it was also chosen to lead into our memorial service that will take place on the 15th. So we're going to spend three weeks studying this chapter of Scripture, Psalm 139, ending on March 15th during our memorial service. So let's just take a stroll through it together. We'll just stroll through the, the passage together, taking our time. And I want to mention, I know that my translation is probably a bit different from many of yours. 
That's okay. We're going to go slow enough this morning that you'll have time to hear mine, read yours, compare, figure out what's going on. So let's just start from the beginning and take a close look at this chapter. You know, I actually skipped a part of this when I read it. Did any of you catch it? Right before verse 1, for the choir director, a psalm of David. You see that little inscription above where the verses begin? You know, that's actually part of the inspired word of God. We don't tend to look at it too closely. For the choir director, a psalm of David. In this case, this inscription is telling us that this is a poem set to notes. It's a poem set to notes. You may or may not know that the psalms are about praise. All the psalms are about praise. In fact, the original Hebrew title of it was praises. It got changed to the word psalms when it got translated into Greek from a Greek verb that basically meant, let's see, the plucking or twanging of strings. So it's a musical book. It's like the divine hymnal. This is the biblical hymn book. And most of these psalms are meant to be either read along with music or sang. And that will help us as we read. So just keep in mind, this has to do with praise. All the psalms do. So in verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now take a minute and look at the surrounding psalms on your page. And maybe even flip and look at the others. And just look at the first verse of each of these psalms. You're starting to see a pattern emerge. In each of them, he's addressing God. O Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Rescue me, O Lord, from evil men. Oh, Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Praise the Lord. I will extol you, O my God, my King. It's all aimed at God. The psalm we're reading now and all these praise psalms that we read. We're addressing God. And the word here is Jehovah. It's the eternal, self-existent God, this amazing God that we've been studying all through February in the first three chapters of Genesis. This is the God that we address when we come to praise. Praising God will always feel unnatural if we don't know God. I think for me growing up, that was one of the big hindrances. One of the reasons why the singing part of service was so awkward for me was I really didn't care about God that much. And the whole point of praise is God. So we have to note that at the beginning. The more we know about God, and the more closely we come to know Him in our relationship, the more genuine and natural our praise will be. And it will flow into every aspect of our life as well. So let's take a closer look at who God is according to this passage. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. Now the word searched here is an intense word. You have penetrated me. You have intimately examined me. You have penetratingly, intimately searched and examined me. It's like a surgeon opening up his patient and examining from the inside. That's the word David's using here. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Our most mundane of acts. He's very well acquainted with. You're sitting down in your pew this morning. The tapping of your foot. The chewing of your gum. He's intimately acquainted with all these, even the mundane details. You have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. Now the idea here, this word you translate as scrutinize, it carries with it the idea of to toss about and to spread out and to strew about. It's sort of like if you're putting together a puzzle and you dump it all out on the table and you just spread it all out so you can see real clearly what it is you're working with. That's what God does with us. That's how He knows us. He spreads out our path, our way of life, what we do. He just strews it about and sees it very clearly, very openly. You scrutinize my path in my lying down. It's the way you would spread out sand or dirt if you dropped your wedding ring at the beach and you had to just get down and look for it. Everybody's laughing because I did, but I was in the ocean, so I couldn't really spread out and look for it. It's out there somewhere. If anybody finds a ring at uh, Holden Beach, it's probably mine. (laughs) You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. You're familiar, you're accustomed, intimately, with all my ways. All the actions I take, all the paths I walk, all the decisions I make. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Now let's stop here and just take in what we've learned about God so far. He knows what you do. God knows what you do. When you sit down, when you rise up, when you get in your car, when you turn on your computer, when you hang up the phone, He knows what you do. He knows it very well, very intimately. He understands your thoughts. He understands all the intricacies of your thoughts and the context of your thoughts and where they lead to and where they come from. He understands all these things. He scrutinizes your path, spreading it out before Him, all your decisions, all your mistakes, all your triumphs, all your plans. Everything you do through each day and week, each month, each year, is spread out before Him. He penetratingly, intimately searches us. Let this sink in. Would you like this sort of relationship with your boss? For Him to just know everything you've ever thought, ever done, ever said? What about with your spouse? Do you really want this kind of relationship with your spouse? Everything about you just spread out, open, bare for them to see every detail of it clearly to understand it with your friends. Think of all the things that have played on the screen of your mind that you've never told anyone about. What have you done in secret, in anonymity, in isolation that nobody knows about? What things have you muttered under your breath that you don't want anybody to know that you ever said that you don't want people to hear God is intimately familiar with these things he has penetratingly searched these things out and I'm, I'm talking about sinful things and I'm talking about things that are not necessarily sinful I'm not just talking about the sinful stuff but all the actions and the words and the things that you've done that you would just be embarrassed to have out in the open. That you would just be ashamed, embarrassed if I played on a big screen here in front of everybody. We have lots of these things. The mistakes, the fumbles, the pitiful things that we've done or mistakes we've made that we would just hate for people to be aware of. God is intimately 
familiar with these things. These things that we hide to keep up a certain appearance. And we work hard on our appearance, don't we? We work hard on this. You might be like, you did. If we could just look good, if we could just appear good, then we'd be all right. If I could just get this tie right, if I could just get this thing, I could never get this thing to stay in the back, so I'm always afraid it's going to be like this, and I'm not going to know. If I could just get these things to do right, if I could just get this right, if I could just make sure people don't realize... If we could just make sure people don't find out that we're weird, that we've made mistakes, that we have, that we don't know all the answers, that our marriages aren't always perfect, that we have a strange birthmark shaped like Shaquille O'Neal on our back, that we're afraid of looking dumb, that we're often desperate and scared. If we can just keep people from finding out that we struggle with temptations, if we can just keep people from finding out that we make mistakes all throughout the day. And that we don't know. If we can keep people from finding out that we're sinful people. And if we can put on our suits and our ties. And if we can just look. Good. If we can just look. Christianly. Then we're okay. Then people will accept us. And people will love us. And yet David here is praising God. Because he realizes something. He realizes something that's both terrifying and wonderful all at the same time. That all of these things that we clutch close, trying to keep people from understanding, that it's spread out before God. I mean, it's out there. He has spread it out. And He has searched through it. And He knows it very clearly. And guess what? He still loves us. What a thing to praise God for. Romans 5.8 says... But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we could get on our Sunday best and just sort of pull it together. He knew what we were all about. He knew everything about you. And yet he still sent his son to die for you. What a reason to praise God. I find it interesting when God originally selected David, the writer of this psalm is David. The same David of David and Goliath. The same one that became king of Israel. When God sent a man named Samuel to find a man after his own heart, to, to lead his people, Samuel went and he was looking for this man after God's own heart. And first he sees this big guy, this tall, kingly looking, dignified guy. And he says, surely this must be the one. And listen to what God says to him. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't look at us like we look at each other. The things we work so hard on to try to look and appear good and right like we should. God doesn't look at any of that. When we're singing out of our hymn book, God doesn't look at the posture of our face. Or do we look emotional enough? And we have a very traditional service here, but you know, in other services, it's more customary to raise your hands and to get more into it. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing necessarily right with that. God doesn't look at that. He looks at what's going on in here. 
So when we praise God during the singing part of our service, let's think about what we're saying. Are we genuine? Because God doesn't care that we're here singing. That doesn't bring Him glory. What brings Him glory is the posture of our hearts. This is what He sees. What's in here? So it doesn't matter that I can't sing very well. It really doesn't even matter that I find it embarrassing if someone overhears my singing. I still sing because I believe these things that I'm saying. And you guys see me clearly. I'm right up here. You know, I'm not always all into it because, you know, it's just not me. But I have to search my heart just like we all do before I start. And what I, is what I'm about to sing is this true? Because that's what's important. That's what's important when we praise God in this church. And that's what's important out there in life. So remember this. In the morning when you're working on it. Now I'm not saying stop combing your hair, brushing your teeth. That's not bad. It's good. Keep doing that. But as you do that, remember this. As you're making all these preparations for your outside appearance. What are you doing inside? Because that's what God's really concerned with. And it may be concealed to everybody else. And it's probably concealed to you most of the time. You probably, like me, often don't even think about what's going on in my heart. But it's laid out before God. He knows my motives. He knows my motives why I'm standing up here preaching to you right now. You know, we preachers can, can look good sometimes. You know, we get better at how to use our voice and, and, and make it sound good. But God knows what's going on in here. He knows. If I'm up here trying desperately to get you to understand His Word, or if I'm up here trying desperately for you to think well of me. And it's a, it is a temptation. It's a temptation for all of us. Sunday school teachers, He knows your motivation for what you're doing. So let's think about our hearts. Not just our outside appearance. Back to the passage. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there is a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. This is an interesting word here translated enclosed, behind and before. Yours may say, I think the NIV says, you've hemmed me in. Possibly. Mine says you have enclosed me behind and before. It's a word that means like to cramp, to confine. In, it's like pull somebody close and confine them in. Like when Elias is throwing a temper tantrum or something, I have to cramp them in and confine them in. I feel like I've only said negative things about Elias lately. You know I love my son to death, right? He's, he's wonderful. It just comes out for some reason to use those. You have enclosed me. You have cramped me, confined me. Behind and before. In front and behind. You've encircled me. And laid your hand upon me. You've placed the palm of your hand upon me. So David's meditating on all this. About how intimately and penetratingly God knows him. Inside and out. And knowing this, God doesn't just cast him away. God doesn't just say, you are ridiculous. Get out of here. No, he... He's all around him. He surrounds him. And he does so for us as well. It's really easy to let this extreme vulnerability before God be unnerving for us. And a little terrifying. It's scary to be that open and vulnerable. For anybody to see all of our embarrassing things and our shameful things. But let this phrase sink in. 
You have enclosed me behind and before. This is how close he is to us. When I was young, I can remember a very distinct difference between the nights that I would fall asleep first while my mom and dad were still up milling around the house and the nights that they would go to bed first and then I would go to bed. See, their bedroom was in the very back of the house. My bedroom was in the very front of the house. So the nights that they would go to bed and I would still be watching TV or something and they'd already be settled, their lights off and asleep. And then I would go to bed. I couldn't go to sleep for a long time because every creak or bump or sound that our housemates settling, I would have to be on it. I felt like, what is that? I need to know what that is because mom and dad are way back in the back of the house sleeping soundly. And I'm the first stop on the way through the house for the accident. <laughs> He's probably breaking in right now. now. I wasn't as young as you might be thinking on this. And you all know you're the same way. But when I went to bed while they were still awake, I would just drift off to peaceful sleep because they were out and about. And they were around. Now I knew that if anything happened, they were, they were there. I didn't need to worry about things. I wasn't exposed out, you know, by myself alone. My parents were there. And I knew that they loved me and, that, and I trusted them and that they would protect me. And David's marveling at all this. You know me this well. And yet you're right here all around me. And David had a lot of trouble. We talked about David a while back. It was before I became pastor here, but... We talked about some of the things that happened in his life. He had a lot of trouble. And dark times came. But he had this rock-solid, foundational idea to rest in. That God is all around. And just this divine embrace. So in your praising God and in your living, remember that God knows you. And remember that God surrounds you. I want to share one more childhood story here as we get ready to close. I'm making good on keeping you late last time. When I was a little boy, we would go every year to Ocean Isle. That's where we went for our beach trip. And I don't know how young I was, but I was, I was a small child anyway. And I was young enough that I couldn't swim very well. But the big event, each summer when we got to the beach... All those kids were just, we couldn't wait to get out in the ocean and ride the waves. You know what I mean? Ride the waves, you get your float and you'd wait. And when the wave got there, you'd jump and hope that it would take you into shore. And it was great fun. And all the big guys were doing it. My brother was doing it. He was like five times as big as I was. My dad was out there doing it. My uncles, and it just looked awesome. And so dad would take me out there. He'd take me out there with him. But I was so little, you know, I'd wade as far as I could to get out there. Eventually, the waves would start getting too powerful and the water too strong, and I would just sort of cling to the float, and he would just sort of drag me along. And then once we got out there, he would, like if this was the float, I would be holding on to it, and he would hold the float and me sort of all together. Now, for a little kid who can't swim, whose mom was clearly terrified that I would be out there to begin with and was clearly certain that I would die, this was really scary. It was exciting. But it was really scary to be out there because I couldn't touch the bottom and I had no real concept of where the bottom was. It was dark water and the waves just seemed huge when you're a kid out there. 
And if I were out there by myself, I would have gotten knocked under, under toes, swept me out to sea in a minute. So the danger was there. But my dad enclosed me behind him before. He would grab that float and pull me tight to him. So the water, it didn't matter how heavy the waves were because his feet were planted on the ground. It wasn't that big a deal to him. But he had me safe. Encircled and closed behind him before. God's intense searching knowledge of you is like this. He knows you so well because he's right there. If you'll just let him pull you into this embrace. Because the waves are going to come. We all know that. The waves are going to come. And the fact of the matter is, they're going to be too much for you. You're like me, the little kid out in the ocean. The waves are going to come, and they're going to be too much for you. But that's okay. Because this is the kind of God that we serve. I'm going to close with that. I'm going to pray for you. I really pray that that these truths will sink in. This has felt like probably the most happy-go-lucky sermon I've preached yet. Because I've been very theological. But in reality, it's not so happy-go-lucky. Because if you believe this, then it's going to have to work itself out in your life. And you're going to have to let go of the anxieties and the worries and the struggle. If I believe that my dad had me safe, Behind that float. I wouldn't be kicking and screaming trying to swim for shore on my own. So this is a comforting truth, but it's, it's confrontational at the same time. Do you believe it? Do we believe that this is our God and who we serve? I pray that we'll grow to believe it more and more. I'm going to pray before we sing our closing hymn. And during our closing hymn, like always, our altar is wide open for you. If you just want to come forward and pray, feel free. Let's pray. Father, please help us understand your word and the truths that we study in your word and help us to believe it. Make clear to us who you are so we can live in light of that truth and enjoy the peace and the security that's there for us. Thank you that you know us this intimately and yet you love us enough to send your son to die for us and you love us enough to surround us Lord help us to respond the way we should with with just humble thanksgiving and praise it's in Jesus name we pray Amen